We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month, which obviously no pressure, whatever you've got, we are so appreciative to have, but we have awesome gifts for you. If you want a hand addressed letter from Morgan and Isabeau, maybe with some special woe stickers, other merch, just uh, visit our Patreon. We are Womance on Patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash Womance. We would be very proud to call you one of our patrons. And this is Lomance, a podcast about romance novels, about fan fiction, at least for the month of February, (laughs) about falling in love with your erstwhile boss, about shirtless tag football at the biology lunch, (laughs) about the friends we make along the way, about AU and RPF and canon adjacent, about how everyone's boinking at the professional conference. About text messages being the new epistolatory. About, honestly, I don't have anything better than that. (laughs) It's about that first thing. Romance novels and ourselves. This week, for the second installment of Fan Fictuary, we are discussing... The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. Why are we discussing? A former fanfic <laughs> by the name of Head Over Feet, also by Allie Hazelwood, which was a Raylo fic um, that got real big on AO3, Archive of Our Own. And then uh, Allie Hazelwood got a book deal, and then the book deal manifested in this book that then got very, very big on TikTok. Am I, is that the right timeline? Yeah, I think so. I think that was the sequence of events. And uh, we wanted to talk about this because we feel like it has become, it's not the first. It's probably not even the biggest, but I think in our current moment, it feels like a real touchstone for where fan fiction to traditional publishing is at and where it's going to be going. Okay, so let's talk about So Raylo refers to Kylo Ren and Rey from the newest Star Wars installment. What do they call it? The Space Divorce installment. Do they honestly call it the no, Space Divorce installment? No, of course they don't call it. They call, that's what I call it, the Space Divorce <laughs> Where Han and Leia are space divorced? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Wrong. We don't want to like, you know, it's hard to figure out like what's best for the kids at this age. So we're just choosing to be space separated and then sending him off to the woods to learn about the force. With his uncle. Yeah, that worked out. Spoiler alert. 
Well, so Kylo Ren and Rey fan fiction is the Edward and Bella of Gen Z. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if you're mad at me or you're mad at that. <laughs> I'm, I'm like mad in general about that. Like, A, the Edward and Bella is like, ugh, but also like, you, you know, and then it's like, yeah, that is a perfect corollary in which to describe Kylo and Rey. Although Edward and Bella were in an actual relationship in the canon of the films and the texts, Rey and Kylo are technically dyads in the force and do not have a romantic or sexual relationship in the canon text. But people like to think that they do. And then in answer to the fandom responding to this in the final film of the space divorce trilogy there's a weird ass fucking kiss which is like whatever and then it's like that's fan service now and i'm like fuck you jj abrams whatever the trigger warning equivalent is for like wanting to shove someone in a locker i feel like we should, <laughs> we should give for the whole rant starting with they're supposed to be dyads in the force <laughs> wait am i shoving someone in a locker because no, they're not nerdy enough not. i'm being shoved in the locker okay okay <laughs> i'm being shoved in the locker okay just so you know that never happened to me because i have been five foot ten since i was 12 so i I never was shoved into a locker because I already like eclipsed the size. But there were people who figuratively would have shoved me in a locker if they could have. Um, I've actually heard that you were quite popular and beloved in high school um, from your husband. My husband said that. That's so sweet. That's but I think I think you were for sure popular and beloved in his heart. I, I think in in his heart alone. <laughs> But I think you're right to point that out. Like, Edward and Bella makes sense to me. Yeah. Because they're, like, built for that. They were a Mormon housewife's My Chemical Romance-induced dream that was then marketed to 12-year-olds. Like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of fan fiction based on that story. Kylo Ren and Rey, (laughs) I don't follow, and I don't know if it's because I'm old, too old. I think it might be because I'm too media literate, Mm. as everyone who's listened to this show screams with laughter. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, the thing about, before we get into the book, I want to talk about this wave. Sure. Like, why uh, Kylo Ren and Ray? I don't feel like Adam Driver's performance. I don't feel like Daisy Ridley's performance was particularly like begging of like, wow! I wish I I want to watch these two take each other's shirts off. Like there wasn't even that like will they won't they in the at least not in the first two. In the in the first one certainly not. In the second one they have that weird thing in the forest where they like manifest each other and he is often shirtless and she is often sweaty because she's been training with Luke. And so like the the ingredients are there like like all the stuff's on the table but like it is not a cake. No, that it is not a cake. Two hotties do not make sexual tension. 
They do not. Necessarily. Just by virtue of being on screen and being hot does not mean that you're doing a thing. No. But Mm -hmm. I've been talking about this. I got you to read it, which is um, Mm -hmm. exciting. But there's this, I'm sure you've heard about it, listeners as well. Um, but if you haven't, you should read it. It's an essay on the knife, which is called Everyone mm-hmm. is Hot and No One is Horny, talking about how aesthetics have replaced our understanding of sexuality. <laughs> like, th- we are presented with bodies and we're told they're hot. I 100% attribute this. I think there is a patient zero, and patient zero is the Chris Evans second Captain America movie poster with the butt Mm. and we had that context right Mm -hmm. our generation we know when something is supposed to make us horny and we react accordingly you know what i would like actually like to trade like chris evans specifically because i think it illustrates the point precisely Mm. is that chris evans used to be horny hot in his teen films which were films i consumed as a teen and as a young person right you thought he was right like in the score where he's like stealing the SAT scores with Scarlett Johansson, not another teen movie, like movies in which he does not have a six pack. He is not hairless. Like his chest isn't hairless. Like he is a human being who is in shape. He has an awful hairstyle. Absolutely awful. Basically frosted tips, but not quite. Terrible. That is a hot person that also has sex with hot people in those films. Mm hmm. And then you get into his Winter Soldier Disneyification. Mm-hmm. He loses all his body hair. He gets an eight pack. His pectoral muscles pop off the screen. And no one's having sex with him. No. Famously. Famously. I mean, they, I guess in the latest She-Hulk, which I did enjoy. But She-Hulk is so meta. I don't think it, yeah. I don't think it should count. But we are once again in a Disney property. And here's the thing about this Disney property is that I don't think it was insidiously, I don't think J.J. Abrams was insidiously trying to make us hot for Kylo Ren. I think Adam Driver is an investment piece, right? Like we talked about, like he's not great on talk shows. Like he's not going to do the promo. You put him in your movie because he's going to like fucking act. Act his little tushy off. And he's a statement piece, right? Like he's like a pink velvet couch. People are going to comment. And he's going to do great. He's going to deliver on the one big thing he's got to do. He's not going to do the silly talk shows. He's not going to do Good Morning America. But he's also going to give you a character. He's not going to be vain about it. I think there are a lot of actors who cannot. And I get it because... I do the same thing every day, baby, when I get on those Zoom calls. Cannot not be hot. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) Same, same. (laughs) Cannot turn down this heat. Are you kidding me? It's 89 all the way. There are some, like, right, like, it is vanity, I think. It's wanting to be adored. Which is kind of central to fan fiction and like what yes. gets created or, and kind of central to art maybe in general sure. is like this want to be adored. And so there are lots of actors, most of them, who I, who cannot help but wink and strut. Yes. Adam Driver is not that actor though. No. No. So the fact that Kylo Ren comes out of this so popular 
is uh, as like a romantic figure paired with Ray. Especially when you have Finn and Poe like standing right there as Oscar Isaacs and John Boyega. He did this really great interview um, where he's like, everybody knew what to do with Adam Driver. Everybody knew what to do with Daisy. Everybody knew what to do with Isaac, but no one knew what to do with me. I think one of the things that's so resonant about John Boyega and what he said is that his character was an Edward and Bella. Like he was built to be not just like the most popular Halloween costume and the most popular, like he's like, he's got depth, he's conflicted, he's the emotional core of the film. He's on the journey with the audience, right? Skeptical and scared and being won over by the story. And Oscar Isaac is right there holding his hand. Like, be so, be ever so fucking for real. Mm -hmm. When I wrote my master's thesis in 2017, one of the things I was looking at is what characters from properties get picked up and resonate with fans and why. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was the most used character in Star Wars fan fiction and I texted, my brother's a big Star Wars person, and I texted him this as soon as I saw it on AO3, where you can, like, see how many times a character is used. I want you to guess who the most used character from the Star Wars universe across all films, the entire franchise. Do you want me to guess, like, this is 2017 and I didn't know this information before you broke my heart into a thousand pieces? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we could just tell, say it. It's General Hux. Yeah, which is fucked. Who, as my brother pointed out, literally wears jackboots. This was supposed to be a story that, a, an imagining of Star Wars that was inclusive and that like represented different people's identities so that, you know, everyone could see themselves literally in the Star Wars universe. And then everyone was like, cool, I like the Nazi adjacent one. Uh, can he kiss the mean genocidal one? <laughs> Other white one. <laughs> That's what I'd love to see. Thank you so much. I want the redheaded jackboot Nazi kissing the genocidal guy who wants to murder his mom. And I I don't want to assume, I, I cannot assume anything. Like General Hux might have just been included in the majority of those fics as like not even like the main character, right? People will include tags of, Everyone. Sure. I still think it's telling that, like, General Hux doesn't need to be in every Star Wars story. He doesn't need to be in most Star Wars stories. Certainly not more than R2-D2. No, who should be in every Star Wars story? <laughs> he should be. Um, if you're wondering how to incorporate R2-D2 into your fanfic, may I recommend reading a little book called Mermaid's Tale, which will show you... <laughs> That a th many ways. <laughs> yeah. A threesome doesn't have to be like a threesome. Check it out. Um, I think that's very telling about fandoms is, you know, I think what takes off tells us a lot about ourselves culturally. And I think what Kylo Ren and Rey taking off told us is that we prefer whites regardless of their like sexuality. That is secondary. We will freaking shoehorn in whatever horniness we have to as long as we get to see the white boy and the white girl 
the big one and the small one bumping uglies. Which is why I don't love <laughs> Kylo Ray thick because Kylo is an atrocious human. And like I asked my uh, eight year old nephew who's deep into Star Wars as like a lead up to this because he thinks about Star Wars a ton right now. He's got like all the encyclopedias. He like knows more about the droids than I do. He's like in that like my- myopic Star Wars phase, which is really fun to interact with. And he was like, it's Isabel. Kylo Ren and Rey are dyads of the Force. Exactly. And he's like, let me tell you what a dyad is. Um, And so I asked him, like, well, what do you think about Kylo? And he's like, Kylo's a bad guy. And I was like, yeah, he is. Like, is there, but is there like another way of thinking about Kylo? And he's like, no. And he laid this amazing one on me. He goes, from every point of view, Kylo's a bad guy. From every right? point like, of view, my eight-year-old mind can comprehend. <laughs> but, like, that's... I, if you were a real fan, Morgan, you would know that that's an Obi-Wan quote from a certain point of view, right? Oh, it's my like, God. Stop. That's what, at, that's what my nephew laid on me, right? Like, or it's like he laid an Obi-Wan quote on me to show me that Kylo was bad. And there is no from a certain point of view. And so, like, I tend to agree with him. I think Kylo is just, like, fucking terrible. Darth Vader, just a bad guy. Just a bad guy. Just a bad so, guy. So, like, Emperor Palpatine, just right? a bad, bad guy. guy. There isn't, like, a lot of complexity. That's mm-hmm. one of the pleasures of Star Wars and all of its right. parenting uh, genres, the Western, the samurai film. Like, there's... Not a gray area. If there's a gray area, it's because you have bad opinions. <laughs> or it's because it's like you probably... 2023, I'm going to stand in my truth. <laughs> stand in your truth. Yeah. It's like, you can tell me all about his redemption arc. It doesn't change the fact that Kylo Ren murdered hundreds of thousands of people. Or that the, the Darth Vader, also genocidal maniac. Don't tell me about his weird mom's trauma. I just, it's not... Okay. It's not anyway. Okay. And, oh, God. And we do that culturally, though. We always excuse We do that men. in romance. We do that in romance. We do it in true crime where we're like, well, what did their mom do? Right? Kylo Ren has a deep, dark trauma. His grandfather is fucking Darth Vader. His mom was gone all the time because she had to, like, rebuild the Republic after 20 years of empire. Like, she wasn't there for me. And then my uncle tried to kill me because he saw something dark. Like, okay. J.J. Abrams is not Laura Kinsale in terms of defining Kylo Ren's deep, dark trauma in a way that I can identify and then crucially sympathize with. And so then for the Kylo Ray fic to function, for me, it can't because I, he's a bad person and she is not. And so for her to like do whatever emotional labor to try to redeem him so that they can bump uglies in a way that is emotionally satisfying doesn't function for me. So then to hear <laughs> that it is the most popular pairing Outside of Hux in Star Wars. Hux is paired deep- with himself. Hux paired with himself, obviously. is deeply troubling to me. But then for this book, to this book, The Love Hypothesis, to become a blockbuster from a Raylo fic, 
deeply upsetting. There is also this thing about Kylo Ren and Rey that like begs this Kathleen Wood wissification of body. Mm-hmm. 2024 word Oxford Dictionary word of the year Wood wissification. <laughs> I'll write to them. Actually, if people could make that happen, that would be incredible. But I think I find Adam Driver a more compelling performance than Daisy Ridley's. I find her, I find Ray's story to be fine. I don't think it's the most compelling thing on the page, which is just to say for people who felt a need to fantasize about Kylo Ren and Ray, I don't relate to that. Mm -mm. For people who want to fantasize about Adam and Olive, God help me. I get it. Adam and Olive are the main characters in The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood, which is what brings us here together today. Back of the book. As a third-year PhD candidate, Olive Smith doesn't believe in lasting romantic relationships, but her best friend does, and that's what got her into this situation. Convincing on that Olive is dating and well on her way to a happily ever after was always going to take more than hand-wavy Jedi mind tricks. Scientists require proof. So like any self-respecting biologist, Olive panics and kisses the first man she sees. That man is none other than Adam Carlson, a young hotshot professor and well-known ass. Which is why Olive is positively floored when Stanford's reigning lab tyrant agrees to keep her charade a secret and be her fake boyfriend. But when a big science conference goes haywire, putting Olive's career on the Bunsen burner, Adam's surprises. Adam surprises her again with his unyielding support and even more unyielding six-pack abs. Suddenly, their little experiment feels dangerously close to combustion, and Olive discovers that the only thing more complicated than a hypothesis on love is putting her own heart under the microscope. Listeners, his first name is Adam. <laughs> is it a Kylo fic or is it an Adam Driver fic? Not to mention Olive. Also kind of plant-like. Oh, like Daisy. Yeah, for sure. And it, like, Ray, <laughs> Olive, they both only have one syllable. Olive is a two-syllable word. Olive, I guess. I say it Olive, so it's like one. Her best friend, On, is like Finn or Poe. Everybody only has one-syllable names. Well, I mean, On is not Finn or Poe. <laughs> Finn and Poe are here. In Star Wars? No, in The Love Hypothesis. General Hux is here. Oh, for sure. General Hux is there. Yep. Poe is Adam's best friend. And Finn is Olive's roommate, who also end up together. Spoiler alert. I didn't read it that way. I definitely read Finn and Poe as Ann and Malcolm. This is what we get for having drinks and not doing a plan. Ann is the best friend. Malcolm is her roommate. Jeremy is the person that she went on several dates with. Malcolm is Poe. Sure. No, no, Malcolm is Finn. No, I think Ann is Finn. Isn't Ann a woman? Yes. I, I think it's gender swapped. Okay, Adam Carlson, our hero, mm -hmm. is based on Kylo Ren. Yep. However, in this book... He is a postdoc. He's not a postdoc. He's a he's tenured a biology 
at Stanford. Yep, he's like a wunderkind. Olive Smith, she's our female main character. She is based on Ray. She's in her third year of her biology PhD. On Fam is Ray's best friend. Which is why I said Finn. Malcolm is Olive's roommate and other best friend. Poe. Uh, no, I think, well, I think Malcolm is Finn. Holden Rodriguez mm-hmm. is Poe, a.k.a. Oscar Isaac. Oh, I see what you're doing. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see. I think Holden is Oscar Isaac because he's an older character and because he ends up with Malcolm, which a Poe-Finn pairing is pretty normal. Yeah, very, which totally get. The fact that Disney didn't have them kiss is like stupid. <laughs> but they did have they did have Kylo Ren and Ray kiss, and then they were like, Disney made an official statement that it was chaste. How it was a kiss of mutual respect and not romantic feeling. Which is so if next time you mutually respect someone, just give them a big old wet. That also brings you back to life evanescent style. On might have been based on I think that this I think that this AU fan fiction or alternate universe fan fiction is relying is relying on the actual races of the the characters. Oh, so you think An is than Rose Tycho. Yeah. Well at least she gets more shrift here than the Raylo Tarot. Yikes. People love it. You know, just because we don't like it. I don't know what I'm missing. I am usually like there. You know what I mean? Someone says says jump. A director says jump, and I say how high. I think you said it best, and we, we this is wherein Adam Driver was delivering the performance of an unlikable incel-type human who also happened to be hot. And that it's not anyone's fault necessarily for reading onto it what they wanted in terms of their own desire But it's also like Adam Driver is not the, for lack of a better term, he's not driving that with his performance. (laughs) And I I think that was like really, I think you might have said this in text messages where you're like, I'm worried about where people are putting their desire. And it's like, because I am Adam Driver did not put that hanger out and people were still putting their coats there. Right. And that is weird to me. So like the Ray... Kylo thing is deeply hard for me to understand. And frankly, the first half of this book was hard for me to understand because like those of you following along at home, Adam Carlson, tenured biology professor, is a toxic, unprofessional human being terrorizing grad students. Yeah. And Begins a fake relationship with a subordinate. She's not in any of his classes and he's not on any of her review panels. Fucking doesn't matter. (laughs) It's gross. And I was deeply uncomfortable as a reader who is also academic adjacent. I was like, none of this is great. (laughs) Well, not just academic adjacent you are an admin this is your nightmare it is literally my nightmare this you are an obligatory reporter olive shows up in your classroom 
and you find out that she's been right like she shows up in my classroom fucking thinner and sadder and like her like you know dark circles in her eyes because she's not sleeping and she's probably working for me like 10 hours a week and I'm like hey Olive I've noticed that your work performance is like suffering a bit do you do you want to like and then she opens up to me about fucking a tenured faculty member I am then in a position where I have to report to HR and everyone loses their funding he's worried about everyone loses their funding he's worried about everyone losing loses his their funding because they think he's gonna leave and he's like will you pretend to be my girlfriend so that they think I'm stable Allie Hazelwood is actually a academic. Is this what it's like in STEM? Because this is not what it's like in the humanities. You know what, though? In the humanities, they have to really try hard to get us to not have sex with each other. That's true. Like, we just want to have sex with each other all the time anyway. Yeah. Maybe it's STEM. It's, like, harder. They're like, okay, well, we don't want you to, like, die alone, right? So, like, fuck each other, but, like, as long as you're not on her tenure committee, it's totally fine. And humanities, we're all just licking each other's hairy armpits. (laughs) Smelling them softly (laughs) in the hallways. Um, So, like, I'm deeply uncomfortable from, like, jump on this (laughs) book. Deeply, like, every way I'm just, like, pinged the wrong way. I'm a cat with my hair brushed the wrong way. I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't like it because it's Kylo. And he's a terrorist. He's terrorizing the department. here's the thing, dude. Like, it doesn't work as a Kylo rent. It doesn't work as a Raylo fic if it's not difficult starting circumstances. Sure, 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 sure. But when her friend Malcolm is like, how the fuck are you dating a person that told me to go fuck myself and made me do an entire another year of work? Oh, my God. How Like, how are you reconciling that? And she's like, I don't know. He's, like, different with me or whatever. And I was like, this is the reconciliation that someone is performing to write the Ray Kyle, Raylo fic. I am firmly in Malcolm's camp, wherein I fucking don't know how you're reconciling this shit. I've got to say, you are right. This is, (laughs) we are watching someone, like, and that's kind of the beauty of AU, is it gives you an opportunity to kind of, like, scrub off some of the, like, like, his project isn't genocide, it's rigorous research, right? Like, it kind of helps you to, like, work through these things. And it makes it, it makes the stakes more manageable. Sure, absolutely. And it, and like, it makes the setting more relatable. I think more so it makes the stakes more manageable. Yeah, he's not murdering planets. Right. He's just making grad students cry all the time. But in the book, in the text, I feel like we are supposed to identify with the reconciliation that Olive goes through. So what happened, Adam... If I may be so bold, Doctor Adam, PhD. Doctor Adam Carlson, PhD. Wunderkind, PhD. Does not actually tell him to go fuck himself. He says you need to do like another round of something. Your data is wrong. Do more do science. It mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and he says it in a mean way publicly in front of the other committee. Right, like that's part of this. Like it feels like he's into personal humiliation. Hmm. Um, not in a fun way. <laughs> not in a fun way. No. Just like in a professional way that sucks. That's like the thing where like, oh, I think she gets off on writing mean notes on my paper. God, I hope someone's getting off on it because it really just feels bad. But I think 
you know, he he's told he has to do more data and it could add additional time to his PhD, which for those of you outside of the U.S., PhDs go on for as long as they need to go on for someone to generate new knowledge in the academy. You do not, there's not a time limit. <laughs> you, sh- you propose, I want to ask this question and the question has to be a question that's never been answered before. And then you have to actually answer it. <clears throat> and crucially in the U.S., you're funded probably for five, potentially six years, depending. But by year seven, if you have not defended and you have not moved out the door, your department will cut funding and then you have to find the funding yourself. Yeah. You can also become ABD, which is Mm -hmm. all of your research is done. You just haven't written the big dissertation paper. And I I think it is possible to have a full-time job and be ABD. Absolutely. And just working on revisions. This is dark. This is very in the weeds. (laughs) This book gets in the weeds. Like, it's very clear that it's written by someone in the academy. Yeah, but if you're, like, getting a PhD just kind of describing something that's already known, this would be baffling to me, and it, how angry people are at. And maybe that's why this book has been so successful, because people don't know how, how real and uh, fucked up what he does is. But he, like, you know, makes him redo his data. And Olive texts him, and she's like, why are you such a dick? Um, and he says, I'm not a dick. I just believe in science. I want to make good scientists. And also, she's like, you know, it takes the, like, she doesn't know she's beautiful trope and adds on, like, she doesn't know she's uh, a brilliant scientist. She herself is a wonderkind. Um, which makes sense because Ray is a, a wonderkind with the force. And doesn't know it. And doesn't know even it. Even though she can talk to any species of alien and all droids uh, and ships in equal parlance. Not everybody does that. I didn't realize. I thought I was just a regular girl from a trash planet that's known as Vancouver. Jakku. <laughs> it's Vancouver in this book. <laughs> It is Vancouver. <laughs> Trash planet Vancouver. And she's like, wow, never thought of it that way. <laughs> we just really need to make good science because there's a lot of junk science out there. And all these people who don't believe in science anymore, I get where they're coming from. It's also like weird apologia about that, which I'm not. Like the first half of this book was just not for me. Mm-hmm. And um, mostly because Adam Carlson sucks as either Adam Driver or Kylo Ren. He mm. he is performing his character heroically, which is to say he's doing the most to be shitty to everyone else. But also doing it heroically and that he's supposed to be. He is a hero. He is a hero. Right. Like we've had shitty heroes before. Like this isn't new to the podcast. Like, yeah. But he is genuinely unlikable in every scene that he's in that he isn't directly relating to Ray slash Olive, right? And in their scenes, he's can be charming, but also verges on not, yeah, right? Like when he's like, you know, it's it's the kind of charming that like, you know, she don't know she's beautiful or like I'm so special because like I I get that he's laughing, right? So, like, they have this whole bit about the fact that she really likes sugary coffee drinks, like, you know, like a unicorn frappuccino or whatever. And he's like, only drinks black coffee and he only wears black sweaters and black jeans and black boots. 
Um, because he's Kylo Ren. This is classic grumpy sunshine business. Exactly. So, like, very familiar with this trope. But when he is, like, rude in the cafe, I took personal offense. I don't know why. Like, I think this is a me problem and not, like, a problem with the writing. Because, like, I understand the trope. I understand the stuff. But, like, the fact that she's, like, dimples a plumpin, like, I'm just going to eat my sugar and my ration of my little, like, I hated her too, right? Because she's like, I ate three grains of rice and this, like, raisin bar and I only have $2. <laughs> like, you are a third year PhD at Stanford. You make so much more money than regular PhD students <laughs> everywhere else. Here we go again. And I- our humanities chip on our shoulder. <laughs> We're fucking too much and paid too little. <laughs> To under to relate to this text. <laughs> I get that the Bay Area is expensive. And then he does this other thing where she like bikes because she can't have a car. And I'm like, that's relatable because you're a poor grad student and you live in the Bay Area. So biking places. He's like, this city doesn't even have bike lanes. Excuse it's me? Dangerous. <laughs> and he's like, and he like wants to drive her places because it's like dangerous for her to drive. And like, that's like when you say like Edward and Bella, I'm like, well, that's the controlling boyfriend aspect. But also like, are you fucking kidding me? The Bay Area has way more bike lanes than like fucking Chicago. <laughs> um, by the way, University of Chicago is Berkeley's safety school. So uh, you wish you got in there, but instead you have to buy a big coat. I think just to explain culturally where we're coming from. Right. I mean, not me and Isabel. We applied directly to the University of Chicago because we're afraid to leave the Midwest. But and I was also very, very happy I got in. Like, anyway. Anyway, I think this is classic grumpy, grumpy sunshine stuff. He's like, but he's also doing like this weird providery thing, which is super common trope. And definitely if I was trying to, if I was imagining how Kylo Ren would take care of me he would for sure just be like you need food you need protection but I want to talk about like the big bad conflict in this romance novel because that gave me a lot of clarity as to what romance can do for us today okay years ago when we started this whole thing Um, I was deeply skeptical about the happily ever after. I was like, how can like a happy ending be the cornerstone for an entire genre? Especially when we're like developed Mojarn people. Like we don't need to get (laughs) married. We can live happily on our own. And, you know, there's been the proposal of like the happy for now or what have Mm -hmm. you. But the overarching conflict, the big conflict in this text made me realize that I think what the happily ever after is trying to do in texts, in modern texts, is not to have two people fall in love necessarily. Like that's, that's how it's accomplished. But I think the ultimate goal is to feel your humanity affirmed. Mm-hmm. Dare I say a Hegelian dialectic. It's very new Chicago of you. All I was going to say is, like, I see you. Right. right, very avatar dialectic. Yeah, to have your humanity acknowledged, to feel, I think, oftentimes, especially in heteronormative relationships, it's hard to feel your humanity affirmed by your partner because you're 
partner has been socialized to not see you as a human, right? And to do the worst thing. And I think we do expect the worst thing. And one of the things that happens in this novel is the best possible outcome to an inevitable, uh, uh, what feels like an inevitable setback. Setback. Destruction. Violence. Violence. Which is, is Baroque in its execution, but also not. I was sad how not it was. Yeah, it's like he's a little literal with his proposition um, for someone who is as um, hair suit as he should be. But so, okay, okay. Spoilers. Olive's PhD advisor is retiring soon and she stopped applying for funding for her lab and Olive needs some big fancy equipment to continue her research. And so what that means is she has to ask another lab to invite her in, which is hard to do because when she graduates, you know, if she does really well, it's going to say Stanford. It's not going to say Harvard. So Harvard is less likely to want to invest in you and for a short term to use the lab equipment yeah because it's it's expensive right it's expensive it's like prestigious so she is working to get to secure this and adam carlson happens to be very good friends with the phd tenured guy at harvard who runs the cancer research lab that she has been emailing yeah she actually got an invitation from the head of this lab before she started her fake relationship with Adam Carlson. One one lab replied to her, and it was the one at Harvard, and was like, I'm interested in your research. I'm going to be in Stanford. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. She starts this fake relationship with this big deal professor, and then it turns out like, wow, he's uh, good friends with this Harvard person. And the Harvard guy is like, tell me all about your research and put together a presentation for me. And Olive does. And he's like, yeah, sure, you can come work with me um, for the next year. And they go to this, everybody goes to this biology conference in Boston. Park the car on Harvard Yard. How do you like them apples? <laughs> Wicked smart. <laughs> Everybody goes to the biology conference. Adam Carlson's the keynote speaker. speaker. And she didn't even know, but she gets invited to speak on a panel, which is actually like high fantasy third year PhD students speaking on a panel. With tenured faculty. It's it's a huge it's a huge deal. The book treats it as big a deal as it is. Yeah. And uh it would also be just like one of the tenured faculty members is this guy who runs the lab. And After her talk, which she gets through, very proud of her, I felt elated. Her friends Mm -hmm. are like... She was very worried about it. "Mm -hmm." Her friends are like, let's go to the happy hour together. She was like, let me go get my stuff. Um, And as she's getting her stuff, this man comes up and propositions her and suggests that the only reason she's been as successful as she is is because people want to fuck her. And she will, she's obviously an ambitious woman who's only having sex with Adam so that she can get ahead in the cancer research world. <laughs> and um, he says, you're going to end up having sex with me anyway, so like, let's just cut the baloney. Let's get down to it. And then he kisses her. He forces himself on her. 
and then departs. And she says, like, hey, you can't do that. I'm going to tell everybody. And he's like, who is Adam going to believe? His old friend? Who he's known for decades. Or his little plaything. And then he also suggests that the good people of Harvard would feel the same way, which is true. (laughs) And so she decides that she's not going to tell Adam about it. Not because, well, partly because she's afraid that he won't believe her, but also because Adam has so few friends and this person's very important to him and he said it at multiple times and she doesn't want to blow up a real relationship for the possibility of turning their fake relationship into a real one. So she makes the decision for him that they're going to end their fake relationship now um, because she doesn't want to have to interact with him because he is so close with this predator. Not only that, Adam Carlson has entered into this fake relationship and he was like, the benefit for me, which I don't even want to talk about the benefit for Olive because it's so goofy goobers it's not real it's she's like i want my friend to feel like she's entitled to date this guy i went on a date with so will you pretend to be my boyfriend it's like couldn't you just tell she's like she i told her but she won't believe me unless she sees me moving on um wild so she adam is like adam carlson my my boy adam Adam, driver adam kylo ren Adam Driver, Kylo Ren. Carlson, Kylo Ren. I just realized that. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. Um, so he says, I want to be in a fake relationship with you because Stanford is pulling some, is not releasing some of my money for my research because they think I'm a flight risk. They think I want to go to Harvard. And she's like, oh, well, okay. And he's like, if I were in a long-term relationship with someone at Stanford, they'd be like, oh, well. He's going to stay and make babies. Yeah, he wants to stay and make babies. Um, And then it turns out, she finds out while she's at this conference that he actually is thinking about going to Harvard um, because he's ready for another opportunity, right? And wants to make a lot of money. But also, he's... He likes her so much, and he thinks she's going to be at Harvard. So he's tried to, like, set up a situation where he can be there. But she doesn't realize that. She don't know she's beautiful. And so she doesn't realize that he's doing it to be closer to her. Also because they just don't tell each other. They, like, tell each other nothing. So, like, this is, like, a frustrating romance novel. And it's, like, the thing that would really fix everything is, like, if they just sat down and talked to each other for, like, eight minutes. Eight minutes? But, like, they just have to be, like... Hey, we're smart people. We both realize these are incredibly flimsy, like, wax paper fake relationship reasons. Perhaps we should just accept we want to be with each other. Like, he has two friends. She has two friends. I'm willing to accept that it would take an eight-minute conversation (laughs) for them to sort this out. Like, they don't seem particularly socially adept. They're really bad at reading their friends. They're bad at reading each other. They're even, like, kind of bad at reading themselves. At least Olive is, since we're in her perspective in a very, very close third. We don't get any of Adam until you get the bonus chapter, which is only in the uh, auditory version, which we will get to. Um, Don't worry. Uh, So... While we are in 
thank God it's a third person. I don't think I could have taken Olive in first. But it is a very, very tight third. Yeah. And so there is a lot of mystery because she's constantly reading him. And so we're getting Adam exclusively through actions that she witnesses and her perspective, which is deeply humanizing for Adam Carlson, biology program terrorist. And so we know around the obstacle that is Olive. Yeah. That he clearly wants to go to Harvard to be with her because he talks about like, you know, there's some really beautiful hiking trails and, you know, we can like discover the snow in the city. Like you're you're from Canada. Like you miss the snow, right? Like we could do that together. And she's like, no, she's I'm like, literally just here to study pancreatic cancer. I'm the <laughs> yeah. only person being honest about what it would take for me to move to Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it's and desperation. <laughs> And so, like, she, like, enters into this thought process where it's, like, she kind of has this fear that he won't believe her if she tells him about his friend. But the bigger thing is, like, she's, like, he has two friends in the world. I can't blow this one up. But she realizes that she, in fact, recorded that entire conversation. And she and her friends discover this after she has already broken up with Adam. Called things off with Adam. And her friends tell her, you've got to show this to him. And she does. She goes to a restaurant where he's being courted by the Harvard Biology Department. Harvard faculty. And she pulls him aside and she just starts playing the recording for him. And he realizes what's happening. And he merely, simply does the right thing in that situation. And I felt... So clicked in, I felt so much relief. I felt so elated that that's why I was like, this is the thing that works (laughs) in Happily Ever Afters is not like someone loves me and validates me as the most beautiful girl in the whole world. It's that someone understands and sees me as human and understands this injustice and wants to help me and I think that's where and he does do like the alpha he like punches them in the face but like I wish I could I would punch him he does an awful thing like he should be punched in the face he should be reported I mean violence he should be reported like that wasn't that wasn't the sexiest part for me, really. Like, hauls him off to the side. I don't and, like, think... No, I'm not like, saying like, it was sexy. But I'm saying it was very... I felt validated. Yeah, and, I think the fact that, like, she doesn't have to say anything. She just starts playing the recording. And he immediately... Because, like, the friend who is also at the dinner is like, you don't have to listen to this bitch. And he's like, you shut the fuck up. And he just, like, listens. And then doesn't ask any other questions like it dawns on him because she related some of this to them before they have coitus um and he's like it was you who made her cry yeah and he had suggested to her like reporting whoever it was to the uh conference organizers like he had given her and then to just be like she didn't have to explain herself like he didn't ask any questions and i think that's Something that is super sexy. Like, no follow-ups. It's just, like, immediately, like, I'm on your team. I see what's going on. Here we go. I'm worried about where people are pinning their desire. I don't think that's sexy. I think that's basic human acknowledgement. That's essentially the right thing to do. It didn't turn me on. 
mm-hmm. but I felt relief. Hmm. That's what I feel a lot of the time. God, I'm so, I am still knee deep in Sarah J. Moss's world. And every time I come to one of her happily ever afters, I'm like, (gasps) (laughs) thank goodness everybody. But like what the HEA is in those stories is like someone doing right by you. Yeah. It's not necessarily like getting married. It's not being acknowledged that you're not just a poor girl anymore. Now you're a lady, right? It's that you are merely acknowledged the way that you need to be not and like deserve to be not because you're brilliant and not because you have a taut little stomach and a tiny little frame and can survive on peanuts like not because of any of that but because you're a human being and someone acknowledges that I think you said it when, like, the way in which you need to be acknowledged, like, that's, like, that is the thing about the HEA that continues to be endlessly satisfying, endlessly relieving, endlessly functional, even though we've seen it, like, a billion times. Like, how can you make this thing new? It's, like, it is being fully acknowledged as a human creature by a person you want to be acknowledged by and that they see you the way you want to be seen right where it's like maybe even that you're afraid to see yourself and that's clearly like part of Olive's deal right like she she doesn't believe that she's good enough she like she's got all these insecurities and the fact that you have like Adam being like no you're brilliant no I trust you no I believe you you are all of these things like that is so deeply endlessly satisfying and I think you know we see it a million times in a million different ways but we don't see it in our real lives not like this not very often like and especially this HEA feels like a systemic HEA yeah where he like talks to the head of the department the guy gets fired the title nine complaint goes through pretty much immediately like he advocates he uses his platform immediately there's no there's no hemming and hawing. He doesn't come back to Stanford until his, like, statement is taken. You know what I mean? Like... He catches the later flight. Yeah. Like, it's just crisp. And it it's, like, a longing for... I think oftentimes when people do the right thing, they don't do it in the right way. They insist on you explaining yourself more and more and more and more and justifying... Like, why this, like, ugh, I'm so, like, trying to explain to people why something is wrong mm-hmm. is, if it happened to you, you wouldn't be asking me this. Like, you would know. Like, the facts of this should be enough. Like, I shouldn't have to, like, repeat it. I shouldn't have to answer what-if questions because the facts are what they are. And then we're oftentimes called upon to do that like what if it was a misunderstanding well what if i had fucking wheels for legs i'd be a bicycle that's not what happened yeah and part of what works about this and why it feels so crisp is because she has the recording she has irrefutable evidence there isn't a space wherein this conversation happened without a witness i love that you live in a world where that's what it takes (laughs) like i still think that is high fantasy Sure. I mean, I think it is too, but I think in the t- in in the way in which this text functions, the fact that she does have the recording makes this cleaner. Yeah, it makes it like s- if snappier. 
Right. Like if she didn't have it, I think Adam Carlson would have done all of the same things, but I think it would have been dirtier and that the Hux character would have kept his lab. He's not the Hux. He's not the Hux? No. How is he not the Hux? The guy who's dating, because the guy who's dating on is the Hux. Jeremy? Jeremy. The red the Irish guy. Irish guy. How, that's, that's, that's crazy. He's Donald Gleason. I will certainly grant you. But how the fuck is not the Nazi jackboot psycho who's, Physically, violently terrorizing fucking. I'm glad you asked. PhD I'm glad you students. Asked. He's BB-8. <laughs> He's Phasma. Whatever. Well, goodness, we obviously have a lot of big feelings around the Star Wars space divorce franchise, as well as the Love Hypothesis. So we are going to have to split this one in twain. So please join us next time for part two of the episode. And thank you for joining us this time for part one of our discussion of The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood for Fan Fictuary. Woli guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonsack. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Romance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.